What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the trade deadline has come and gone. We had an acquisition. We sent a guy out the door. And to top it all off, we had a nice win against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But let's get to the trades first. The big news of the trade deadline, the Sabres acquire forward Jordan Greenway from the Minnesota Wild for a second-round pick, Vegas's to be specific, and a fifth-round pick. Greenway was somebody that we had talked about about a month ago when his name had come up as being a potential trade target for the Sabres and just being available from the Wild to begin with. There were some folks who were suggesting, due to his relationship, previously playing under Don Granado with the U.S. National Development Program, that there may have been some interest there on the Sabres' part. And there clearly was Kevin Adams again, sends the Vegas second round pick and a fifth round pick out the door to reunite Greenway and Granado while Greenway was with the U S national development program. He also played with Tage Thompson as well. So you have an additional link there overall, you know, looking back, if anybody was listening to the episode in which we talked about Greenway about a month or two ago, you would know that Taylor and I both weren't necessarily about the idea uh, thinking of that as kind of like a standalone move, standalone ag- acquisition, it really didn't feel like it made a lot of sense. But I think both of us have maybe softened on that a little bit. My personal take on it before I send it over to you, Taylor, you know, you had these three fifth ra- or three second rounders coming up in the 2023 draft. You just acquired an additional third rounder from Los Angeles in the Eric Portillo deal. And it really wouldn't have made a lot of sense for them to make all five of those picks within the first three rounds of this 2023 draft saying that knowing that this is a good draft, but really when it comes to, as we talked about last episode, the, the idea of what a pick beyond the first round is worth as an asset, when you're comparing that to the likelihood of the player being taken in that spot, eventually becoming an everyday NHLer. So when it comes to somebody like Greenway, You know, when we talked about the Riley Stillman deal, the point that we had both kind of alluded to a little bit was that we didn't want them to make a move for a guy basing it on, well, this guy has not been good. So hopefully we'll be able to make them good in our system or they'll thrive in our system. And I think Greenway is a little bit different. For one, I think the background with Granado matters you know I don't think that that's something that you just gloss over as just like a little note that you could mention in the deal I think that there is some relevance to that I think Granado having a familiarity with the player and having not only a familiarity but from what we heard from Kevin Adams like a real belief in the player that he would be able to thrive in this kind of a system that gives me a little bit of hope I also will say that we have an example on this roster right now of a guy who is not having success in Minnesota with their current system coming to Granado system and finding success. And, and that of Tyson Jost Jost, as we've all been saying has really been a revelation for the Sabres this year, since they claimed him off of waivers. And maybe you think that there's something there. I think on top of that too, Greenway gives you something that you don't really have in this forward group right now, which is just like a banger power forward type of guy, you know, Tuck, I think, plays a little bit of a power forward style, but he has a lot more finesse in his game, whereas Greenway is just like, he's a heavy hitter, man. He's going to get physical with guys. He's going to be that kind of presence reinforcement that you have in your forward group there that if you are playing in a game, for example, like the game against Tampa on Saturday where things start to get chippy a little bit, Having a guy like that that is able to kind of be that physical presence for you, I think, is invaluable. And if you are then able to have that and refine maybe a little bit of offensive touch in his game or a little bit of a two-way touch in his game, I think that there's some definite value to that. And then the last thing I'll say on it, too, he doesn't have a ton of experience with it this season, at least. But the penalty kill, as we all know, is pretty abysmal. And so if you're bringing in a guy like that, that you think could potentially give you value on the penalty kill and help elevate the penalty kill a little bit, I think that there's something to be said about that as well. So Taylor, what are your thoughts here? I mean, what are your thoughts on Greenway, the player, what Granado can potentially do? And then also with that being said, the cost as well, giving up a second round pick for a guy that I think maybe isn't on the surface, conventionally speaking, you wouldn't think of him as somebody that would be worth a second round pick. Yeah, I, I get that argument. So I would start by saying I, I I don't love him as a player and I don't love that he's the big acquisition, the deadline. But that being said, I think he could be a, definitely a useful piece going forward. You mentioned there the, the system in Minnesota. Well, 
before Evanson was there, uh, before he was playing under Evanson, I should say, who they, they seemingly don't like each other. Greenway was a pretty good defensive forward. He's a defense first guy, so he's probably a fourth liner um, going forward. But you can be a good and useful fourth liner, like Sungus Gergensens or someone like that. Or, you know, you could be what Jordan Greenway's been this year, which is bad. Uh, I think they're definitely, based on all the reports on how excited Granada was, they're definitely banking on the system being a problem and uh, anyone who picked Minnesota to win the Stanley cup is a moron who shouldn't have a popular hockey podcast. Wow. Um, Bold statement. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, uh, Greenway is like it, uh, the best version of Greenway. He's a useful player to have around. Definitely. So I, I, I don't hate acquiring him. I think where we were last month talking about it, it was more like, Oh, we could get Jordan Greenway or we could get Timo Meyer. Of course I was way more excited for the, the idea of getting Timo Meyer than Jordan Greenway. But, you know, all that being said, he's a big guy. They're not – I wouldn't say they're a particularly physical team, the Sabres. So it's it's nice to have at least one guy around, if nothing else, than the diversity of skill set. Um, so yeah, that's all good. And, and just in general, like, I do think the idea of trading picks was a good thing. We talked about how many picks they have in the second and third round, not to mention all the other prospects they already have. So they were going to have to trade some of those picks or else I don't know. I don't know what else they would have done. Uh like with all these guys, but also we, we've made fun of the Sabres history with drafting, you know, not all that great of players after the first round in the past, like between like Jason Pominville and JJ Paterka, did we have a good second round pick or was it Royer Pominville? It might've been both of them actually in the same year, but anyway, no, <laughs> we really didn't have a good second round pick between them. Uh, so, I also think it's worth mentioning because the, the Western conference is, is so uh, the medical term I think is due to ass this year. The Knights could yeah, make the cup. Right. <laughs> yeah. The Knights can make the cup. That could be like a 60 something pick like 60th overall 64th. I'm not going to win the cup. So I'm not 64th, but like they'll, it's going to be in the fifties. Definitely the very least, like the best version of that pick is still in the fifties. So I, I don't, I don't hate it that much. That being said, I was taken aback a little bit that it was a, you had to give up a second for uh, a guy who's having such a bad year and theoretically that you're you're buying low on. That's a little bit weird to me. Definitely, I, I don't agree. want to get too hung up on it. But I thought it's that like, the I thought the Kings pick mate would have made a lot more sense for a move like that. Is that the is that a third the third rounder? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm looking right. I mean, now. he hasn't been playing. Like there, there's been times that he's yeah. not playing games. You know, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm looking right now at the 2017 second round. So it's been five and a half years, almost six years. And this is what like the end of the round looks like. Ooh, UPL's here, like from 50, let's well, so from 50 on. The 50th overall pick was Max Comtois. Okay. Uh, your boy. My and then it's boy. Zachary Lausen, Luke Martin, Jack Studnicka, UPL, Jonah Gadjovich. Josh Brook, Ian Mitchell, Joni Ekenen, Emeli Rasanen, Antoine Morand, Grant Mishmash. That's not a real guy. No, he's not. It's that's definitely a fake one. Somebody hacked the the page. And then Jake, I I don't know how to say this. Less Chichin. I don't know. That's a wild spelling. I have no idea what that is. But anyway, the point is, there's not a lot of good players here. That's that's the range our pick will be in. You can go do that for any year. I'm not cherry picking. I just saw 2017 because it's a lot of these guys have a time to establish himself. I mean, looking at an entire second round, even if it was a good pick, Jason Robertson's a, the 39th pick here. Uh, Luce Duranen's in this, Connor Timmons. Oh, no, and also is even good. Like there's, there's like four good players in the second round every year, maybe right. more than that. But like second round pick late like that, I don't want to get too worked up about it. Right. I think when it comes to the second round in general, the mentality should be that there is significantly more value in picks 33 to like 42, because those are all of the guys that are the fringe first round guys. When it comes down to it in any given NHL draft, depending on what a team's board look like, there could be a variety where one team can have a guy slotted in at 40 and another team can have him at like 22, for example, on their board. So there's a lot of variation in terms of the outcomes when it comes to that. But beyond that, yeah, I mean, like we the point we made last episode is that if you want to get even further in the numbers beyond like the 20th pick, just the likelihood that somebody is an everyday NHL or just skyrockets down downward. It just, 
that's probably a poor way of looking at it. And that's <laughs> and that's skyrocket downward. It's well, like it crashes. It tanks. It it yeah. it yeah exactly. Stonks are down. Words stonks stonks are down. Yes, exactly. That is a much more eloquent way of putting it. Thank you. But that being said, yeah, it, there shouldn't be any kind of hesitation with moving picks like that. And again, as a reminder, because uh, we have twenty two picks the last two drafts. Now they are set to have, I believe, eight in the next draft in the twenty twenty three draft. And we'll see. I mean, they might not even make that many picks too. It's it's gonna you know time will tell once we get a little bit closer to the draft and then deals start to happen at the end of the season and and on the day of the draft. You know, that's when we might see a lot more activity. And judging by some of Kevin Adams' comments, which we'll get to in a little bit at the press conference for the trade deadline, that that could be in all likelihood that we're going to see a lot more movement when it comes to not only picks, but maybe some young guys too, judging by some of the comments that he made. But with that being said, with Greenway, the jury's out. We'll see. I think that it could end up being valuable. You know, as we're talking about him being like a fourth liner, I understand if people are like, well, what we gave up a second round pick for a guy that maxes out at a fourth liner. I don't know if that's the case, but I think he maxes out as a bottom six guy. But I think that there's a lot of value in that, that if you're going into next year with a fourth line of, let's just call it like him, Joe Stet center, and then guy acquisition, free agent signing X, Y, Z to kind of fill out your fourth line there. I think that there is a lot of value in that because we've seen it with Joe and hopefully this will be the case with Greenway as well that there's going to be times where you're going to need to shake up the lineup a little bit and having the flexibility where your fourth line consists of guys that are maybe like fringe third liners is really good. And it also gives you a little bit of something different. Joseph has been really good in a two-way presence. Obviously Greenway is more of a defensive forward, but he also is very physical too. And that's not something that necessarily Joseph gives you. So you're having a little bit of a variety there on your fourth line. And should there be a time that, you know, if somebody's struggling next year, like let's say if like Yuri Coolish makes the team out of camp next year or Matt Savoy, and you want to maybe do the Peyton Krebs treatment a little bit where you're going to play him with a couple of defensive forwards because maybe they're struggling a little bit. Having the flexibility to have a guy like Jost or have a, a guy like Greenway on your fourth line is is very valuable and being able to use them throughout the lineup. So we'll see if that actually ends up being the case. I'll say that I'm a lot more optimistic about them being able to find something in Greenway that other teams haven't been able to channel as compared to them being able to find something in Riley Stillman. But we'll see what these next, you know, 20 or so games bring. So the other trade that happened that saw a member of the team walking out the door is Rasmus Asplund. And I got to tell you, I do not have the same level of optimism towards this trade that I do towards the Greenway trade. Asplund was, as we all know, a victim of the forward rotation this year. He was getting fairly regular games throughout the start of the season, but I did the counting yesterday. He has played since Thanksgiving, I believe, 10 out of around 35 or 36 games over the past two-plus months, which is not good when we're talking about a guy that was a higher second-round pick and even taking it a step further with how promising he looked last year. He got selkie votes. And I think that it's something that we've talked about here and there. I I tweeted about this a little bit that I think it speaks to, I don't know if mismanagement is the word, but I don't think that they've handled the forward rotation and the bottom six as well as they could have. And I think that even goes back to the start of the season and in the off season and how they kind of had the roster set up coming into this year, where there really was a log jam of these bottom six guys on the team And it sucks. Like a guy who got Selkie votes last year, albeit he got like two third place votes and a fourth place vote. That is not somebody that goes out the door for a seventh round pick a guy, you know, and and let's also be clear too. We're talking about a younger guy. What is he 25 or 26 right now? It's not as though he's hit some age curve where his play is starting to decline and it's becoming noticeable. Like he, this is by and large, like a lot of the same forwards. It's the same coaching staff, the same system. And Asplund eventually just ended up falling out of favor. Now that could be because, you know, of a lot of things. Quinn and Paterka both making the team out of camp this year. But again, I think that also speaks to mismanagement because you should not have been surprised or not prepared for that to happen. Um, You know, his play wasn't great. It was streaky at times. We saw... You know, the guy we the guy that was there last year, we saw him at points, but it wasn't necessarily consistent. But I think, 
again, just recouping a seventh rounder for a guy like Asplund, I, I don't really love that. I, I'm honestly, it's, I, I find it unfortunate more than anything else. You know, I understand that Adams wants to, has made a point about, he always calls it doing right by the player. And if a guy, you know, we, we've heard about it with Vinny Hinostroza too, that they tried to move him because they wanted to do right by the player, which, Hinostroza also leads into that conversation about mismanagement because as we talked about last episode, you should have moved him last year at the deadline. If you were getting like, even if it's a mid round pick, you still make that move because there really wasn't room for him this year. Obviously now proving to be good to have him in the lineup. He's looked good as of late, but it's just unfortunate when it comes to Asplund though. I I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say, like I said, the sky is falling. It's the end of the world that we got a seventh for a guy that was really not really nothing more than a bottom six forward for you. But there was value there with him. And when it comes to, again, this like log jam that you were going to be looking with and, and them saying that they want to place an emphasis on getting the young guys games and having them in the lineup and playing often. If there was a chance that this was going to end up being Asplund's fate, you probably should have moved him in the off season when his value was higher than clearly what it is now. I mean, again, Greenway went for a second and a fifth and Asplund goes for a seventh. That, doesn't necessarily compute to me too much when you look at the pedigree and the history of both of these guys in the league. So your thoughts on Asplund Taylor, your thoughts on, on the return. And do you feel as though there's some merit to that conversation about questioning a little bit with regard to the mismanagement of the bottom six, or do you think that it's just the guy hasn't been good this year and his value tanked and this is what it is. Yeah. I don't really see why they had to trade him to be honest. That's that's a weird thing to me. Like, you didn't have to do that. I understand, like, they're doing right by the player thing. I think a weird thing about this year with the Sabres is they're all, not hurt, but this weird logjam concept is really caused by the fact that they've had, like, next to no injuries, um, at the, with the forward group at least, because they basically have 14 forwards, like we talked about. I don't even include Bjork, who they also just got rid of for yeah. nothing. Um, I guess to do right by him? I don't know. He's still in the AHL, so that's weird. Uh, but yeah, looking at Asplund and Henestroza, yeah, they were supposed to have two guys that could. Well, I, even if you don't look at it as those as the two guys they planned before the year, they were going to have two NHL level guys that could step in in case of injury. And what happened is there's no real injuries for most of the year, so now it's like there's going to be two odd men out, and you're not going to want to sit someone that's like, you know, the real prospect prospects Krebs. Paterka, Quinn, and then you're not going to sit like players that are actually good, like Cousins and other guys. And all of a sudden it's like, who's your fourth line? You have, and they also, now that I think about it, they picked up Jost on waivers too. So that's, I added another forward to the group who all of a sudden was much more worth playing than Asplund. You, you almost could say Jost took his spot. Yeah. Kind of, right? For um, sure. And so Asplund and Henestroza then, they, they find themselves to be the odd men out. Uh, and Asplund in particular, yeah, that was kind of weird. Like last year, was I feel like he well now I'm I'm not remembering how much he actually played in the the the, the shorter year the 56 game season but I don't like to think about that season so last year felt like Asplund really establishing himself as a full time NHL player and as a good bottom six guy a uh, good defensive forward made the players and, around him better too noticeably yeah. that may have been honestly his most valuable trade was how much better he made Olafson when they played together that's a good point yeah which is now Joe's job I guess right um. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's hard to, like, know what they should have done this year with Asplund. Uh, I guess one of the main things is they really shouldn't have brought back Henestroza. Yeah, like, they did not have room for him. Yeah, I guess you could just look at it like Joe's took his job, and then what do you do with him? I think you could just send him to Rochester. I mean, if you don't want to stick him in the box every night and you want him to actually play, I don't know that he would clear waivers. I don't think could, he would. I, I'm fine. Keep him in the press box. That like I I don't know. I, or not or or not keep him in the press box. I don't know. It. I think you're still doing right a good by taste in my mouth. Being like, hey, you know, bottom six guy, you're still on our team, and we need you. We'll need you. Stay ready. I don't think you're doing wrong by a guy because he's in the press box. He's not like he's an all star. Right. You don't do anything wrong. It's not like you're not paying him. Right. The guy comes to work. When they need him, they'll they'll be able to use him. Like. It's not – this isn't some crazy punishment, like cruelty, to have to be in the press box every night. And we're not talking about it within the context of, like, Quinn or Paterka only getting 10 out of 25 games or something like that when it's a rookie and crucial to their development. We know what Asplund is. Asplund is the the guy that he is right now. There's – or who we saw last year, there was probably no further growth from that. You probably know. not. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird. It just it also kind of strikes me as like this is why I don't really pay that close of attention to a lot of prospects. Like, I mean, I keep an eye on what the Sabres are doing, but Asplund is a second round pick. The Sabres traded up to get him. Mm-hmm. This is Tim Murray era. Trade up five spots in the second round. Love that guy. Um, so they traded up to get him. And then you have he has two more years where he played, I believe, in the SHL. And then came over here and played in Rochester for one full season, then on and off until last year. And then he has one decent year, and it's like, oh, no room. Got to trade him for a seventh. Feels like a kind of a waste of time, Yeah, <laughs> to be honest. Absolutely, it was. And again, I, I just think about the the productivity of last year, the promise from last year. And it's just frustrating thinking about because let's be real. This isn't like some revisionist history. You and I were both saying that they had too many guys at forward coming into this year, like yeah. in the bottom six, there was just, there was too many and they were eventually going to need, it was going to lead to something unfortunate happen in the event of like, you know, a guy, if he falls out of favor after a couple of bad games, but it's somebody like it, it, exactly what happened with Asplin, where there's value to this guy, but because of everyone else who we have having to play put an emphasis on playing the younger guys, you're not going to get minutes every night. And then that ultimately just tanks their value. And, you know, in a best case scenario, if you traded Asplin over the summer, you get a, what a third forum or something. So it's not yeah. like, it's, you know, I mean, granted, there's obviously a, a quite a difference in value between a third and a seventh, but it's not like he was some marquee piece or anything, but it's still the matter of asset management. And it's something that it feels like is, I don't want to say it's a problem for this front office right now, but it's something that we've on several occasions have had to ask the question about, I guess, if it is an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So I think also, uh, with Asplund, which, which is what is interesting, is that you may not have Oposo and Kurgansons next year, right? So, but you know, you could have had a fourth forward. line of Asplund, Greenway, Jost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, 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 I don't really get this one. It's not the biggest deal in the world either, but it's like that's a waste. Why'd yeah. you do that for? Exactly. Well, and in the aftermath of the trade deadline, Kevin Adams had his yearly press conference, as all GMs do, at the conclusion of the trade deadline. And there were some interesting tidbits in there, some frustrating things. Let's get the frustrating ones out of the way. We talked, we, we've talked about this all year. We especially talked about in the trade deadline episode last episode. You and I were not getting into it, but like with people on Twitter about this point, because it, it doesn't make any sense to me where there is this. I don't know if it's the the point our our pal uh, Hucklebuckets R.I.P. to your restaurant, but he made a great point that it's it's this like creating of a fan that is something they they say something annoying and then you use that as like a generalization for being like well the fans are saying this it's the way that I put it in my tweet was it's the it's like Harrington or Hamilton ask where Paul Hamilton and in Harrington's case he doesn't even see people saying this actually for the case of both of them they're just making stuff up up out of thin air but you see one person say something idiotic and then in an article or in a tweet or in an interview oh well the fans are saying said idiotic thing that one person literally said and so with that in mind seeing all of these people saying well Oh, it's, we want to make a deal to to sacrifice the future for 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 now. And what are we going to do two years from now? Then, and I don't need to belabor it, but like we talked about this, and we have talked about this, that you're not trading any of Tage, Tuck, Darlene, Power, Samuelson, Quinn, Cousins. None of those Krebs, probably Paterka, probably none of those guys are getting moved. Okay, you're not trading Savoy or Coolidge. We'll get to that in a minute. If everyone else is on the table, there is not one person that can make a good faith argument on how trading anybody else in this entire organization is sacrificing the future for the present. It's just, it's, it's not reality. Like, it, it's, it's not a matter nonsense. of it being, and it's not a matter of an opinion either. Like it, you, that's not like, oh, well, that's my opinion. No, like it's, you're just incorrect. Like you're wrong. <laughs> you know, like yeah. if you want to say, I want to wait until the off season because maybe it'll be a little bit easier to make a move then for, to address some of the key areas of need. That is an argument that people can make 
And that's fine. I will listen to that. But to say that trading Noah Ostland or Rosine or this year's first or next year's first is in any way, shape or form sacrificing the future. It's just nonsense. It's not, you already, you can move all of those guys, all of those pieces and still have an incredibly deep farm system. And let's not forget, we are, while having the oldest player in the NHL on this team, the youngest team by average age in the NHL, you are not sacrificing anything by taking a big swing on Jacob Chakrin. You're not. Because none of the key pieces that I mentioned before are going to be going the other way in a deal like that. So that was really frustrating to me that not only did Granado make a point of saying something about that on Friday, but Adams did as well in his press conference. And I get it from there, like from their perspective, whatever, you're going to say the company line. I'm sure they probably don't even believe it, but they're just going to say it because it's a, it's something to say to address the question, but it's extremely frustrating. And it just leads back into the point that I had made this point on Twitter and a thread that I did that was making the rounds a little bit. Even if you are of the belief, this, this insane belief that that is somehow making a, a big trade at the trade deadline is sacrificing the future you are going to need to make multiple trades of that nature in four months. Like come the drafts and start a free agency. When movement starts happening again, guys are becoming available. Obviously free agents will be out there. You need to make at least two big swing moves. So whether you like it or not, like it, it for one, like just get it in your head. It's not sacrificing the future, but those moves are coming. And to lead this into a positive I think Adams may have low-key signaled that a little bit because speaking of the prospects, the two names that you and I, in terms of the more higher-end pieces that the Sabres have at their disposal right now are Noah Osland and Isaac Rosine. And in Adams' press conference, he had said, it was with regard to Chekrin and making a bigger move, that guys or that teams were asking for Coolidge and asking for Savoy. And Kevin Adams said that was a non-starter, which in and of itself I think is a good thing. Kudos to Kevin Adams. Unless it is something that is blowing you out of the water or there is a guy that otherwise would not be on the table, you absolutely should hang on to those two unless it's a part of, again, a huge deal, like for a a really marquee name. I love that. But he only mentioned those two specifically as being completely off the table, which leads me to believe that Osland, Rosine, and we'll see what happens when the draft gets here, but maybe the draft pick is up for grabs. And I think it should be. I very, very much so think that they all should be for that matter. That's not to say that I do not believe that Oslin or Rosine can end up being quality NHL players. That's fine. But it's understanding where you are right now and where this core that we're talking about is right now. And with the exception of Skinner, they are all firmly in or stepping into their primes. And so this summer is going to be make or break where it's like, buddy, you cannot have another year of Tage having a career year again, being on pace for over a hundred points, Darlene being on pace for 80 points, cousins being a point per game guy, tuck being a point per game guy. And you're not getting these guys reinforcements to put this team over the top. Like they are ready to compete for the playoffs. They're ready right now. They're ready right now, which is why I felt like it was okay. And I know why you too felt like it was okay if they went out and got a Meyer or a Chakran. But Adam saying that, I think, is definitely a positive sign. And maybe I'm reading in between the lines a little bit too much, but I do think it's notable that he didn't say that Oslin was omitted from that. Yeah, I agree. And it makes total sense to me. Like Savoy's a top 10 pick and Coolidge's stock is just skyrocketing. Um Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, that makes sense to me that like, if you're going to have some prospects, you're going to trade. It's like Osland. People weren't thrilled that he went like, what, what do we get him? Like 18th, 16th. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Rosen is really not scoring that Rosine is not scoring that much at the AHL level. That's kind of a concern, but yeah, those would be the guys. He's been that, all right. I mean, he's been, he's been good enough down there that I don't yeah, think I, that's, that's probably unfair. Cause and he looked good at the world juniors too. He, he yeah. looked good at the world juniors, which I think we should also point out given the unfortunate situation he was in with his team overseas last year. That was kind of like his first in a while, real taste of playing alongside peers, his own age. And he looked very good in that, yeah. set, which is good, but anyways, definitely I digress. Yeah. Go ahead. 
uh, that's pretty much all I was going to say. It just makes sense that those are the guys that would be uh, available in a trade. Like, they're more appealing than, like, Kisikov or someone like that. Sure. Poltikov, um, yeah. Yeah, but, like, you know, they're they're not someone you absolutely have to hang on to. Um, but anyway, should we get to the ads and then talk well, about yesterday's game? Or... I would, but I want to ask about one other thing because I think it was an interesting tidbit that Kevin Adams even, I think, looked at the PR team and kind of looked and was like, is it okay that I say this to acknowledge it? But he pretty much went as far to say that they were in on Chakran until the end and Arizona was asking them oh, for right. more than Ottawa was or than they were asking of Ottawa. So I think a couple of things on that, and I'm curious for your thoughts on this. I would be curious to know how much more, and I will be honest, is that I I, I understand that rationale that, well, if you're asking us for more than you're asking another team, that's not good business, whatever. If they could have gotten across the finish line without sending Coolidge or Savoy, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, send a little bit more then like pay a little bit more. Okay. Like that, that's okay. If you're, if we're talking about extra draft capital or adding in a prospect on top of it, it's the conversation that we had last episode where it's like, okay, if Ottawa offers you three pieces, but you have to pay a little bit more, you have to pay four pieces to get them. Then, then do that. Like at the end of the day, you're still getting the yeah. good I, I two-way do... player. True. I still think, if I had to guess, the big hangup is that Ottawa has a good chance at a top 10 pick and the Sabres don't. And that's For just sure. a hugely valuable thing to them. But, you know, it's also, like I said, it's supposed to be a good draft like 2015, everyone's saying. Yeah. Then the middle of the first round where the Sabres are going to be is also going to be good. That's yeah. like the range where Barzell and uh, Rantanen and other guys got taken in 2015. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, I mean, do you have any other thoughts on that, though, at all? I guess on the concept of that where... I wouldn't overpay, you know, I guess. The thing is with Chekrin that's really... I've gone back and forth on him, but man, the games play thing is really, it's troublesome, but he's so good when he plays though. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you take that for 60 games a year, but like I'm looking now, has he ever played more than 60? His career high is 68. Oh, he played 68 his rookie year. <laughs> That's something, I guess. Yeah. 68, 50, 53, 63, 56, 47 and 38 this year. All he's right. Well, let me ask you this. 20 games. If it was against New Jersey for Timo Meyer. Yeah, and then you would do it. Yeah, yeah. I the Meyer thing. I know it's a little scary because he didn't agree to an extension, but hockey players don't love moving, and he already has to move across country once. So maybe he'll be like, "Damn, <laughs> I don't want to do that again." Fair, definitely fair. All right, I think so that's the that's why hockey guys stay so much. They don't like moving. It's a it's a big thing, you know. Relatable though, too. Yeah, you and I have helped each other move, and it's uh. You know, it's a it's a it's an annoying process. Yeah, I love honest. you, but it it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a whole to do. Um, all right, let's let's get to the uh, the ad here. Do you know who our first sponsor is, everyone? It's DK. DK. That's right. It's Donkey Kong. And who no. is today's episode or today's uh, DraftKings ad read dedicated to? Hoops fans. Hey. It's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. For a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. So this is the time where I'm supposed to discuss uh, a bet that I like. And let me tell you something, folks. After watching the Knicks uh, with a buzzer beater on Friday night, I am fully Knicks-pilled. I think – I'm going to wow. say this. I'm not a Knicks fan, obviously. So you love but... Dolan is what you're saying. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm saying you have to trust Jim Dolan. Jim. You have to trust the Knicks. You have to trust Julius Randle. Knicks fans, believe you will not get hurt. Mm. You'll never die. I'm going to look right now to see where they are. Like, I believe they're in fifth. So, like, some big games coming up. Like, they got to play Cleveland soon. That's big for, uh, you know, playoff standings. They've just been, like, super hot. They're playing. They're clutch. Yeah, they're fifth right now. They're a game and a half back of Cleveland. Folks, I'm saying it. The Knicks are going to win a playoff series this year. Bet on the Knicks. Do not bet on them after the first round. Hot, hot, hot take. Yeah. 
Well, Jalen Bronson. Shout out Ivana Nate Geary. Yes. And also my good friend, Nick Konotopsky, the biggest Knicks fan I know. Um, I also told Yvonne last year the Mets were going to win the World Series, so I might not be a reliable person on this front. <laughs> but anyway, back to DraftKings. Download the app now and sign in with code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. Go blue. See show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. And our next sponsor, speaking of Yvonne, is Thin Man Brewery. Heck yeah. Great times on Friday. Thanks to everybody who came out. Packed the house. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, great time. Uh, They released their new uh, Hazy IPA Super Freak, uh, which was such a hit that they sold out of it. Uh, Hell yeah. They, I believe they tapped the keg. Uh, they like all their six packs, four packs, whatever it comes in, all that stuff at grocery stores, just like sold out. <laughs> um, but so it's going to be a little bit, I think before, if you really want to try the super freak, I think it's going to be a little bit before you can actually get it. But let me make a comparison here to anyone who's worried about this. This is like the Popeye's chicken sandwich. Folks might remember in 2019, Popeye's released their chicken sandwich to like hordes of of hooting uh it was like Beatlemania chicken chicken sandwich fans yeah people, some people are saying chicken the chicken sandwich. sandwich is more important than John Lennon uh or they were at the time at least and they mm. sold out and then Popeyes was like uh we'll be back in November and it was like September it was like what the hell why is it gonna take two months for you to make a chicken sandwich and then they did come back and it was great and everyone loves it now it's it's the best chicken sandwich in the world except for all the ones we've mentioned on here I also I have a new chicken sandwich to pose as a potential for the straight up Sabres chicken sandwich Hall of Fame that you need to try now because of how good it was. I'll get to it after the ad. Okay, Uh, and look, look at it. Look at us now. Look at the chicken sandwich Popeyes. That's going to be super freak at some point soon. So I really think based on how the sales went this Friday, like super freak is going to be a big deal. People around here love hazy IPAs, so. If you want to be on like the ground floor, if you want to be the cool friend that's trendy and gets to tell your friends like, hey, I tried this new beer. You got to try it. And then your friend really likes it. And then they tell their friend. If you want to be the first person that starts that, keep an eye out because we will we'll be letting you know when there's more Super Freak, when there's a, you know, when it's back, basically, <laughs> when you're going to be able to get it. We're going to let you know. Uh, it's It seems like uh, they're onto something big with that one. Yeah, that was it was just a it was a good time there. Friday had a little bit of the uh, man. I'm trying to remember what it was now. The 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 Minky Boodle offshoot. It was not Minky Sunrise. Well, anyway, it was really good. I'm gonna look up what it is right now. Um, yeah, another always a good time there. So, folks, if you're you know if you've never tried it, it's uh on Elmwood Avenue, and there's another location on Chandler Street. You can go there and for all your uh, your four pack needs, six packs, uh, Pills Mafia. I know it's not football season, but it's it's important to. Uh, Mickey Stardust, by the way, is the one I drank. Mickey Stardust is delicious. Uh, important to support the Bills, even in the offseason, because there's a lot of, let's say, not great vibes going on right now with that. Yeah, you know, stop in. Trivia Tuesdays. Brendan plays there, like, seemingly once a month or so. Then Man Brewery, the official sponsor of Tage Thompson for Heart Trophy. We love that. Wasn't there also, didn't Yvonne want us to mention some? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. We should bring this up. So we need to have him on to actually discuss this sometime soon, but we, and listen, we were hanging for a while, so it could have maybe been induced by, by alcohol, but Yvonne seems to firmly believe that if if he trained every day for six months straight, (laughs) and he's probably gonna be eating his words after how he looked against Tampa, but that he would be, he would on a, just a one-off basis, be able to play a better game than Eric Comrie in goal. (laughs) And he was, he was hell bent on this. I I don't know. I I feel, I told him that I would at least put it out there into the world. So we'll have to bring him on sometime so that he could explain his rationale a little bit more. He did play junior hockey. So he was a goalie. See, I think he had to retire because of his CTE, but he he did play, and he's okay. only as old as Craig Anderson. So, wow. Hey, maybe that is a oh god, I did not put that together, but that 
is a very sobering thought. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I don't know. That actually nicely leads us into Saturday's game because Eric Comrie is now 2-0 and against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He played great. That was Comrie's best performance in quite a while. You, I, myself, everybody in the fan base had been on him, but he held it together and he held it down for them against a Tampa team that I don't need to get into it. We all know Tampa's background. We know how great Tampa is. But Comrie, I thought, looked extremely composed. I thought that his positioning was great. His angles, like the way that he was just playing all the shit, like every variation of a shot, whether it was a point shot, whether it was in tight, whether there was a scrum around the front, like he was just, he had himself together. He had a very strong positioning game. He looked really good for his side-to-side movements as well. It was great. And the Sabres in this game end up pulling out a huge five to three win against the Tampa Bay lightning at home. The Sabres are inexplicably unstoppable in the goat heads. They are horrendous at home every night, except when they wear those jerseys all around. It was a really solid game. And I'll say too, before I get into some of the specifics that, that stood out to me, and obviously I want to hear yours too, Taylor. One of the things that I think was, no, I shouldn't say one of the most impressive thing about this win was that the Sabres were up in this game. They were up the entire game pretty much around the second period. Tampa started to get very chippy, very physical with the Sabres. And you might even say dirty, very dirty. Absolutely. Dirty is a completely fair way to put it, but for a young team like the Sabres, for an inexperienced team like the Sabres who haven't had the opportunity to play playoff games where that kind of physicality is just like interwoven into playoff hockey. A a young team like that could have easily faltered and let that game slip out of their hands. Like Tampa was going at them, but the Sabres perseverance in that kind of a game without Jordan Greenway in the lineup, I thought was phenomenal. Like, Full marks to Granado on that and for the players too, but for him to keep them mentally and physically engaged in that game and in the moment going up against, again, a Tampa team that you have just a star studded cast. You have obviously the playoff and and Stanley cup pedigree there. I mean, it was, it was so impressive the way that they were able to hold their own and the way that they just were standing up for themselves too. And they were going right back at them. And so there were a lot of bright spots in this game. For one, I thought that the Hina goal was excellent. You had a great zone entry there and then a retrieval by cousins, great work along the boards there by him winning battles. And then to top it all off, the guy who I think we need to talk about after we kind of go through our overview here is Casey Middlestad, who had a incredible assist on that one. Gorgeous pass to Henestroza from behind the net below the red line there by Middlestad, leading to the goal. Casey's been so impressive. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, and again, yeah, Comrie was great. They didn't falter when Tampa w- was coming at them. I mean, all around, it was a, a really, really solid team effort there. And I couldn't be more impressed. What were some of your takeaways from the game, Taylor? Well, aside from the Comrie thing, it's just, I pretty much agree with what you said, that they they stood up to him. They didn't let themselves get intimidated or anything like that. Uh, the Stillman-Jeno fight, oh my God, that was that was really, that was actually kind of scary for a second because it looked like uh, when, when Jeno really got Stillman, and I don't actually haven't heard yet, so I don't know if Stillman's going to be out. They said something like they got some good news, so hopefully he's not. But Stillman getting rocked there, that was yeah. uh, Jeno connected on that uppercut. Yeah, so that besides that, though, I mean, they really stood up to him. Like you said, Comrie played well. They were dangerous on offense. They didn't get rattled when they gave up two goals. Obviously, they blew a four-goal lead earlier this year to Tampa. So, yeah, it was just a really impressive effort all the way around. It's it's really fantastic. And they played so well that John Cooper benched Tampa's three best players, three best forwards. The entire third period. Yeah, the entire third period. Kucherov, Point, and Stamkos. Two future Hall of Famers and a third guy who maybe. Like, that's that's something. They really frustrated. I can't remember the last time the Sabres caused anyone to be benched. Yep. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's, it's, so it's a really encouraging effort because we didn't talk about it, but Thursday night, the first half of that game against the Bruins, they played well. Like they, they stifled the Bruins a little bit. And obviously the Bruins stifled them at the same time. 
there's no shame in losing to the Bruins, but after it was two nothing, which it was like whatever, it ends two nothing. They played a good enough game against a team that might break the wins record, uh, and then they just gave up in the third period. That was really embarrassing, and they lost Monday or Tuesday. Sorry, Tuesday they lost to Columbus. Two really bad efforts in a row, in my opinion. So it was really good to see them come out on Saturday and solidly beat what is I don't know like. A poten- potential still Eastern Conference champion. They're three times, uh, three yeah. time running now. So I guess they're the top until they're not. Tampa could be doing the LeBron thing where they just don't really care that much during the regular season when they're in a good spot and then turn it on when the playoffs get here. Yeah, yeah they've made the they were third in the in their division each of the last Prime two LeBron, years, so. I should say. Yeah, now current LeBron, current old man LeBron can't mm. help getting hurt. That's terrible. terrible. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, M- MJ would never, never. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. The real, right. the real goat Kareem would never. Well, we need to talk about a couple of forwards here who have been really showing out lately in Casey Middlestat and Jack Quinn for that matter. But I want to talk about Middlestat first because he has had a very impressive run here. You know, Middlestat has been in the doghouse quite a bit in terms of fans, in terms of this podcast, in terms of like everybody really, like he was struggling to begin the year. And one of the things that we've talked about with him is that it just, a lot of times it feels like he is unable to just put it all together. You know, like skating has been an issue for him. Keeping up with the pace of play in the NHL has been an issue for him. He has otherworldly traits and talents when it comes to his stick handling ability his passing at times could be really great as we saw obviously against tampa and his playmaking Uh, he's got a good shot but when that's not all put together and able to over or able to compensate for your skating deficiencies it leads to what we saw from him where it felt like he just was consistently getting out mat out matched by the uh, opposing teams he would lose battles he was sloppy with the puck on a stick he seemed like he was just dogging it out there and boy oh boy has middle stat really really turned on the jets over these past we'll call it 10 games here um i i mean you're starting to see his playmaking come out a little bit more you're starting to see him play with a little bit more confidence which i think is really important for him and i think that he, in my mind, get, and again, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. This team in general has been streaky all year. Uh, Middlestead has, in, throughout his career, been streaky where he has, you know, bursts where he looks really good and then he's non-existent or invisible for stretches of games. But over this past stretch here, we'll call it 10 games in which he has, I believe, what do we got here? One, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 points over his last 10 games. So I think through this stretch where he has looked better, he's looked competent in his own zone too. I don't necessarily think that he, I'm not going to go as far to say that I think that we should reconsider whether or not he should be on the team next year, because I still think even if he does put up a career high in points and surpasses 50 points, it should be looked at for increasing his trade value more than anything else, because I think you're going to want to, get a bit of a different look at the forward group next year. Uh, Again, with just some of the young guys coming up and just having more opportunities there. But what I will say though, is that I think he's starting to change my mind a little bit when it comes to weighing who I would be more inclined to having on this roster next year when he's lined up against Olofsson. What are your thoughts on Middlestead as of late? And, and I also will say too, I say that obviously anybody who's listened to the show knows this, that Olofsson and Middlestead, since last summer have been the two that you and I have been saying feels like they're the two odd men out when it comes to this forward group for in the long-term sense. So give me your thoughts on Millstat's play as of late and has your stand, has your view of his, his standing on this team moving forward changed, or do you still think that come opening night next year, he should not be on the roster? Well, I guess to an extent. Yeah. I, it really depends what Adams wants to do this summer in terms of, potentially getting someone who's, you know, like an established top six guy or defense, whatever direction they go in and what they do with like Oposo and Gergensen's and the fourth line and all that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure still Uh, it's been a nice stretch, but he's had nice stretches before. Like he played really well at the end of the uh, 2021 season. On the other hand, it's, it's fair to say that he hasn't really had a 
a good look at it, a good run yet, because of all the things, his injury last year, uh, having to play in the AHL, the COVID, all that stuff. So I, I guess um, maybe I should be fair to him and say, like, that maybe this is him now. Maybe this is the kind of player he is because he's playing with more confidence and creativity offensively. So that's encouraging to see. Yeah, at some point, someone's got to be an odd man out, though. And it might be the guy who's not playing well right now, Victor Olofsson, uh, who, by the way, though, congrats to him. He's expecting his first child, I just saw. So congrats to Vic. But yeah, Middlestat, it wouldn't kill me if he was on the team next year. I just wonder then what your roster looks like if, you, if you're if you going to you know have Coolidge up and maybe even have Savoy up. Are you going to have the fourth line with Joe to Greenway and who else? And, you know, it's just, it's, there's a lot of questions, but yeah, I guess my, my idea is I'm not really thinking like you got to get rid of this guy. On the other hand, he could be part of a trade. I mean, it seems like there might be no better time to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think at, if nothing else, you had brought it up actually a couple of weeks ago, a really good point that I've been thinking about more and more that it's, I mean, granted, it's our our job with just like having a podcast, but that when like a guy starts to play well, that depending on who the player is, that really then you just think about it in the context of like, oh, good. Well, this just increases his trade value as compared to appreciating the improved play. And I think it's just been noticeable how much better middle stats been. And I, I, I think yeah. that he like the praise is well deserved. Um and it's just going to be a matter of seeing if he's going to be able to keep it up down the stretch here and and how he's going to continue to produce as this team is playing in higher stakes games too. Like, I think that's going to be the other thing that I'm kind of really excited about from this stretch run here is more than, not more than, but as much as I am excited about just generally speaking, watching important games in March and April, I should also say that I am really really looking forward to seeing what guys are going to step up in big spots because we really don't know that yet we don't know who the clutch players on this team are quite yet i think that's all going to be revealed obviously you hope that it's going to be darlene you hope it's going to be thompson you hope it's going to be tuck but i think it's going to be kind of cool to see who's going to step up in these key moments and who's going to have those memorable goals you know i mean it's it's fascinating because there's just so many guys who have with the exception of talk completely clean slates when it comes to playoff history. So it's going to oh be, God, is he the only one that's played in the playoffs? Oh, Lubushkin. I mean, Skinner hasn't Lubushkin and talk. Is that it? Oposo. Oposo. Yep. Craig Anderson. Yep. Still very interesting stuff. Who's going to step up. You know, it's, it's going to be very exciting to see that. Other thing, again, we got to bring up, I know we've talked about it a little bit here and there, but Jack Quinn, man, he has filled in admirably on that top line. We talked about it when he had first gotten his first taste there, that him and Tage seemed to have a really nice chemistry with each other. And he had brought it up actually in his post-game comments that him getting the ice time with Tage and with Skinner is helping him play with more confidence because it feels like he's being rewarded for his good play. And I think that's absolutely the case. You know, you could really tell with these young guys when it's not so much their night or they're having an off night and then how drastically different it is from when they're feeling it and they're feeling themselves out there. And folks, Jack Quinn has been feeling himself lately. Offensive creativity has been top notch. He is so good at finding open ice and positionally in the offensive zone, finding high danger areas and high scoring areas and getting himself in a position, depending on where the game is going and how the the puck is moving throughout the offensive zone. He just knows how to reposition himself so that he's in a position to score. And I think that that's great. And I think that as good as he is, obviously with shooting and with, again, that offensive creativity, I think it also speaks to him having really underratedly solid hockey smarts too, which is something that I feel like we don't really talk about a lot when it comes to Jack Quinn, but he's a smart player out there in the offensive zone. And we've been seeing it more and more as he's been exuding this confidence as of late. So what are your thoughts on Quinn over this most recent run here that he's been on? Well, the goal yesterday was awesome. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, to say the least. Yeah. He, he plays again. It's not unlike middle set actually. He's just playing very confident, uh, like carrying the puck, bringing in the zone, all that he, he, he's a good passer, obviously has good vision and he's been scoring, which is, which is great to see. He's 
we we've talked about it because we didn't really like the pick at first when they did take him that he is someone that kind of took a while to get used to every level so he wasn't really a star in juniors until his draft year uh then he his first year in the AHL which was obviously a year that messed up everyone with covid so it was not not a good year for any young guy but the next year after that he he was really good in the AHL which was last season he was he was awesome and then this year like he he looked good at first and he, he him and Paterka definitely slowed down a lot in the middle of the year and I'm not sure Paterka's really picked it back up yet but like by the end of the year right now I should say Quinn looks really good again like he I, maybe he's just got used to it again and he's he's taken the time I that's a lot of rookies are that way but I think it's especially so with him yeah nine points in his last 10 games yeah that's great to see absolutely it's, and he's I be, he was playing on the top line yesterday right Yes. Yeah, that's also been good for him. I know it's it's unfortunate circumstances with Tuck being hurt, but it's great to play with great players. 100%. 100%. So the Sabres now, let's talk about this upcoming stretch here. Unless, did you have any other thoughts or any other guys you wanted to give a shout-out to, Taylor? Or uh, hmm. Shout-out to Riley Stillman. Feel better, bud. Agreed. So the upcoming slate of games for the Sabres gets a little bit easier than what they had, but it's still by no means no slouches coming up here. All teams that are above 500 over this next run of games on Monday, the evening in which, uh, you know, how are you listening to this right now? The Sabres will be taking on the Edmonton Oilers at home at 730. Then they're right back at it on Tuesday, playing in Long Island against the New York Islanders. Thursday, Dallas comes to town, a very talented Dallas team. And then on Saturday, you have at home again against the New York Rangers, the New Look Rangers, before a week from Monday on March 13th, they play against the Leafs. So you have big four games coming up this week, big five games if you want to go throughout the course of the entire week here, Taylor. What are you looking for from the Sabres coming out of this stretch here against Edmonton, the Islanders, the Stars, and the Rangers, respectively? Six points. Six points. I know that sounds like a lot to ask, but this is the rest of the year pretty much. This is what you got. You got tough teams. So you can categorize these guys pretty easy. Edmonton's kind of a weird one because I don't know if I would put them with the other upper echelon teams. But uh, they kind of are, I guess. They're really on the on the cusp. But, yeah, they McDavid is so good. He's already at 120 points. He's already at 50-plus goals. But the Sabres have been pretty good at slowing him down in the past. So I, I I think that's the game you you don't have to win, but that's a good it's a winnable game. Edmonton's not Boston, for example, like they're a beatable team. And frankly, you should probably dominate when McDavid and or tries to learn on the ice. Uh, and then the Islanders, that's a team you're competing for a playoff spot with. You straight up just have to win that game. No, no two ways about it. Uh, and then Dallas and the Rangers. So the Rangers are third right now. Uh, made a couple trades. They're really going for it, which I actually, I, I don't know if I made this point or not. I actually think that's kind of smart from them. I don't love Kane as a player these days. You but, did talk about this last episode. Yeah. Yeah. How this is actually the time to go for it. Cause they're old. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. Okay. So I did talk about that. That's good. Uh, so they're, they're good. And so are, so is Dallas. I actually think Dallas sneaky might be my new pick to come out of the West this year. Uh, but Looking at uh, those two, I just I would say win one of those two games. I kind of doubt the Sabres are going to win four games this week. But if you lose to Dallas, you lose to the Rangers, you're not competing with either of those teams for a playoff spot. So you got to lose one at, probably against one of those two good teams. And then, you know, be at, beat Edmonton. I don't I still really don't respect Edmonton outside of their two best players, to be honest. And they made a good trade. So who knows? Yeah. But yeah, we you know, we have McDavid's number for whatever reason. Yeah, no, and I'm with you. I think that six points is more than a reasonable ask right now. Is it going to be easy? No, not by any means, but that's what you need to do this time of year. And again, you know, for the sake of it, it it depends on obviously what else is going on around the league and everything like that. Four points wouldn't be the end of the world coming out of this, but yeah, you really want to win three of these upcoming four. And again, just kind of continuing to have some strong momentum going into the rematch against Toronto, which boy, oh boy. Again, not a game that's going to make or break her year, but you really, really need to come out swinging in that game against the Maple Leafs. Like, Granado better get those dudes fired up for that one. Absolutely. So, 
should be interesting, but I'm wondering too, Taylor, we have these four games. You have a back-to-back on Monday and Tuesday, right back at it Thursday, and then again on Saturday. What do you think the goalie breakdown should be for the upcoming week? Who do you want to see? Wow, this has been so weird because UPL, not really his fault what happened Thursday, but he has not been as sharp of late. And Anderson, they still seemingly don't want to play more than once a week. And yeah, normally I'd be like, let's get Comrie the hell out of here. But Comrie was really good on Saturday. So so let's say Monday, Anderson. Uh, When do they play the Islanders? Wednesday? Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay, so back-to-back. So let's say I might just like almost do it randomized. Not randomized, but just one after the other. So Anderson, UPL, Comrie. And then... Is it Saturday that they're playing? Yeah. Uh, okay, then Saturday. Saturday against the Rangers. Saturday against the Rangers. I mean, that's. I'd kind of just base it on who played well during the week. These guys are they make it really hard to know who I, to trust. You know what, Taylor? That's kind of where my head was going too. Is that I think that you need to just given how they've all been playing lately, you need to kind of go one, two, three here. And whether, like you said, you go Anderson, UPL the first two, and then you give Comrie Dallas on Thursday. Whoever plays the best out of there, that's who gets the game on Saturday. And then whoever wins there, if they win on Saturday, then give them Toronto too. Yeah, all right. I think that, that makes sense. It's not bad, right? I mean, you got it. Unless this- it's Anderson, because I they seemingly don't want to play him like yeah. within a week of another one of his starts, so. Oh boy. <laughs> Again, folks, be ready for the big off season swing and goal. Cause they need to do something. Yep. Folks, you see Saros. Yeah. Manifest this. We are, we, that is, Oh my God. I would not joking outside of a top 10 pick this year. I would not blink at trading our first rounder for UC Saros. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Him at like, Plus, I, I I would do unspeakable things to get UC Saros on the Sabres next year. Mm. What did you have in mind? I can't say because they're unspeakable. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, classic loophole. Semantics. Uh, things of that nature. So, any other thoughts you'd like to share, Ted, before we sign off for the day? I don't know. Do you have any recommendations? Uh, I haven't done a song in a while. I'm going to recommend a song. Do you have any? Yeah, I have an interesting one. It's on HBO Max. So let me tell you a little story, folks, about a movie that's turning 20 years old this year. It's called Basic. Okay. I remember in like the summer of 2003, uh, my – this some of our younger uh, listeners may not know what I'm talking about. My aunt rented it from Blockbuster Video and was like, hey, you should watch this. It's so good. So many twists and turns. Uh, but you have to return it so I don't get hit with any late fees. That I might as well be speaking like German for our younger <laughs> listeners there. But like, so I remember me and my dad watched it. And the first thing when the movie ends, he just rewound it 10 minutes. And he was like, what the hell was that? And then watched it again. And then I really liked it. So he got it for me on DVD, I believe, the next Christmas. Uh, and I watched it. It was like, I would have told you from like the years 2004 to like 2000 eight or nine or something like that, or maybe even later that it was my favorite movie. And it's not as good as I thought it was when I was a a kid, but it's still really fun. I watched it. It's, it's cool. I didn't actually think, I don't think I understood it. Um, when I was a kid at first, it's basically Samuel Jackson's in it. John Travolta. Travolta's character is called to a military base in Panama, uh, as a civilian negotiator, because there's a training exercise with some, I think army rangers, and it ended with a bunch of people missing, one guy dead, one guy in the hospital, and one guy not talking. And then, you know, kind of unravels from there. Lots of intrigue, drugs, all kinds of stuff. Really interesting movie. Uh, so I still like it. I still, I, think, I still think it goes. It is also the last movie directed by John McTiernan, who is the director of Die Hard, before he went to prison. And then... Uh, the more you know. Then director jail, because he hasn't made a movie in 20 years now. Oh, my God. Okay. So yeah, the last last uh the last movie directed by the guy who made maybe the greatest action movie of all time. All right, like it. I'm gonna go with it's maybe a shocker, folks. But I actually like try to go out of my way from recommending stroke songs for obvious reasons, but they actually are doing a really cool they did part one of I'm assuming it's gonna be a two-part 
released where they're doing special re-releases of all of their singles from their first three albums and then all the b-sides that accompany it so i'm going to recommend a b-side which is called hawaii it's a really really cool deep cut stroke song if you are familiar with the strokes at all uh the song juice box which is the lead single off of their third album really cool song the bass line in the beginning honestly kind of sounds like the batman theme um but Hawaii was the B-side to that song. And it's a song that among Strokes fans has always been one that like, it's like a cult favorite. You know, everybody loves it. They only played it, I think, on like their 2006 tour. But it's a little bit different for them. It's obviously like similar in the fact that it's just like, you know, alter- like driving alternative rock, like really good guitars. But it's uh, it's a little bit of a different kind of a feel for them. And so I, I don't really want to get too much into trying to describe a song when you could just go and listen to it for yourself. But it is finally on Spotify now. For years, it was inexplicably because it was just a B-side and not on any of their albums. Wasn't on any streaming platforms, but now that they did this big re-release, it's finally on Spotify. So highly recommend checking it out. Hawaii by The Strokes. Also, I want to give a quick shout out to Devin Booker. I don't know if you saw last night him and Luca going at it a little bit. And I just got to say, I respect it that Devin Booker continues to think that he is even in the same stratosphere as Luka Doncic. And like to continuously be talking shit to somebody who you are just like considerably worse at your profession, then it takes a lot of balls to do that. So good for you, Devin Booker. You are annoying and not even in Luka Doncic's uh, stratosphere. And this like rivalry that they have is very entertaining, but I wanted to, what, what are your thoughts on this? Like, Taylor, I, you're a basketball guy. It, it just like is kind of hoops fan. Hoops fans. It's kind of funny to me though that like Devin Booker thinks he can talk shit to Luka Doncic, but Luka is like so much better than him and runs his show. Yes, but I think Devin Booker is good enough to talk shit. It's he not is like good enough to talk like shit. Don't get me Patrick wrong. Beverly. It is interesting. Wasn't that today? Was that it game? today? I thought. Yeah, I think so. It was this oh, afternoon. Okay, maybe it was. Yeah, crazy game. I missed it, but it was like 130 to 126. I'd love to see that as a playoff series. Luca missed the game tying shot, and then Booker got in his face pretty much. But this obviously, <laughs> oh, that's goes fun. back to it goes back to last season with them and their rivalry. But I just like again, Booker just keeps going, and I know obviously Devin Booker's a great player, but you know, if it's like Kevin Durant or Jason Tatum or Ja being the one talking shit that's one thing but it's just like right, right. or patrick williams pa- of course patrick williams naturally along with all of the greats of the nba today i don't know anyways any other thoughts you'd like to share Ted, before we sign off for the day nope all right well everybody thanks so much for tuning into this episode of straight up sabers presented by the hockey podcast network and the charging buffalo make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites whatever streaming platform you're currently listening to go check out all of our fellow shows across both platforms and follow them on social media the hockey podcast network and the charging buffalo are on facebook twitter and instagram where you can also find us straight up sabers make sure you're throwing us a follow if you do not already and whatever you're listening to us on right now, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, what have you, make sure you leave us a nice little rating or a review there. We'd very much appreciate it. Last but not least, check out both of our sponsors. We love DraftKings, folks. We love the Hoops fans. Make sure you're using that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And finally, of course, Thin Man Brewery, the new and improved Thin Man Elmwood is open for business, folks. Go enjoy it. Go enjoy the new items on the menu. Go enjoy the new look in there. It is great. We love Thin Man. Give them all your business. You will not regret it. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday. Everybody have a great start to your week. Go Burrs. This has been Straight Up Sabres. (laughs) 